it's technically a different species of Ebola, and there are no current licensed vaccines or therapeutics against this strain. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. At time of recording, an ongoing Ebola outbreak in Uganda has sickened 64 people. 24 people have died. The outbreak was declared on September 20th in a rural community, but has since spread to Kampala, the sprawling capital city. In recent years, health officials in Africa have become very adept at responding to Ebola outbreaks and have relied on a highly effective vaccine that was developed in the wake of the 2014 West Africa Ebola outbreak. However, there is no vaccine for the particular strain of Ebola circulating in Uganda today. So how are health workers responding and what are the chances that this outbreak may spread further in Uganda and perhaps internationally? I put these questions and more to John Johnson, Vaccine and Epidemic Response Advisor with Doctors Without Borders, France. We kick off discussing the origins of this outbreak and how it has spread thus far. We then have an extended conversation about why there's not a vaccine for this particular strain of Ebola, when other Ebola vaccines have proven so effective. As John Johnson explains, we could be at the beginning of the end of this outbreak or at the start of a far worse outbreak, depending on how things go in the next few weeks. This conversation will give you helpful context for understanding events as they unfold in Uganda and perhaps internationally. Here is my conversation with John Johnson of Doctors Without Borders, MSF. I know that prior to our speaking right now, you just got off a call with your team in Uganda. What did they tell you about the situation on the ground right now? So it's really sort of a pivotal moment in the outbreak, I'd say. So far, there's been about five districts that have been affected in Uganda, and three of them have gone over a month without any new cases. And one of them, it's been almost two weeks, about 12 days. You know, we were looking at this as maybe the beginning of the end of the outbreak. What we're seeing now is that there are some new cases in one of the districts that had gone 11 days without any new cases. And at the same time, we've had a couple imported cases into Kampala. So that's not local spread in Kampala, but people that have traveled to Kampala while they were sick. And there's about 55 or so close contacts in Kampala that are being followed up. And Kampala is a very big city. What could happen there is that there are new new cases, and that's great news. Or um, there could be cases notified, in which case you have a large city where there's local Ebola transmission going on, and that's really a powder keg situation. It's a, a tenuous moment, I'd say. What do we know about how this outbreak started and how it has 
evolved since? So the outbreak was declared on the 20th of September, meaning the, the first case was really identified on the 19th of September. But if you look back and try to understand you know, where this outbreak started, we've done some investigations and we've seen that there was you know, a cluster of suspicious deaths in the area back going into mid to late July. And that's probably where the outbreak really started. It's difficult to say. We haven't found the index case yet, but we know it's probably been spreading at a low level for uh, around two months. But if you look at the epidemic curve, you know, it was probably very just sporadic cases for the first two months there. And then what we see as the peak so far was really sort of late September, where we'd have about six to eight cases per day. And now we're really running at like maybe one, two or, or zero cases notified each day. So earlier you mentioned that there are now three confirmed cases in Kampala imported, you said, so no evidence of local spread yet. Kampala is obviously a very large and sprawling city. How concerned are you that there may indeed be local spread in Kampala right now? The biggest concern is the setting. So like you said, Kampala is a very large city. It's got a huge population, also a very international population with lots of people that travel. So if there are cases in Kampala, that's the biggest concern. However, I think the things that are good, if we can say things that are good, is that the cases that came into Kampala did not have a huge number of contacts, at least that we know of, in the city. And those contacts have all been identified and are being followed very closely, either as contacts listed as just having an epidemiological link or contacts that may have symptoms of Ebola, in which case they're isolated. All of them have been isolated very quickly. But the three people that did have Ebola that were brought to Kampala, they were very quickly isolated. One of them unfortunately died and the other one is being followed up in isolation center. So one very successful strategy for containing Ebola, which worked very well in DR Congo, is ring vaccination. When an outbreak is detected, health workers will vaccinate contacts and then contacts of contacts and outbreaks can stay under control with like limited damage. But for this particular strain of Ebola, there is no vaccine. And later in the conversation, I want to discuss with you why that is. But for now, can you explain how without access to a vaccine, health workers are responding to these cases? Well, I guess first I would argue that we did have a vaccine in the North Kivu uh, outbreak, and we did use ring vaccination. It's very difficult to say what effect that had on the outbreak. We assume there was a, a reduction in the number of cases and a reduction in the length of the outbreak. But at the same time, we were vaccinating very early on in the outbreak, and the outbreak lasted still two years. And you're referring to the last large outbreak in DR Congo in the Kivu region. Yeah, correct. The last big outbreak of Ebola Zaire that we had was August of 2018 till uh, sometime in 2020. And Zaire is the name of the strain of Ebola for which there is a workable vaccine. However, the one spreading right now in Uganda is a different strain called the Sudan strain. Correct. And the Sudan strain, like you said, it's technically a different species of Ebola. And there are no current licensed vaccines or therapeutics against this strain. And to answer your question about how healthcare workers are responding, you know, it's really back to where we were 10 years ago, where we had to really rely on hygiene and infection control, personal protective equipment. So uh, I think we've all seen the 
the photos of Ebola responders wearing the Tyvek suits, as well as goggles and gloves and rubber boots. We still use those things in any outbreak. It's, it's normal, but we have to rely very heavily on protecting ourselves with this equipment because we can't rely on countermeasures like vaccines or effective therapeutics at this point. So on the comparison to the previous outbreak in West Africa, the, the, the big one, you know, we saw back then 10 years ago and around 2014 in the West Africa Ebola outbreak that the health system of Liberia collapsed under pressure. And there was just a lot of excess mortality for lack of access to healthcare, not related to Ebola, like maternal mortality rates surged. Understanding that Liberia's health system nine years ago was much weaker than Uganda's relatively stronger health system today, is there concern at all that the health system of Uganda can come under strain, particularly if cases in Kampala seem to spread? Certainly. I mean, if you look at past Ebola outbreaks, the damage caused by Ebola is not necessarily just the damage caused to individuals that contract Ebola or that die from Ebola, but it's also all the collateral damage that goes along with having an Ebola outbreak in your country. And like you said, we see excess mortality because people avoid going to health centers. We see excess mortality because people just don't have access to care like they might have had before. And we also see that a lot of resources are diverted from the national health care system towards the Ebola response. And that causes a lot of social and economic damage as well as health damage. If you think about the fact that Uganda, like the rest of the world, is just coming through two years of having a COVID pandemic, Uganda was also affected. They also had problems related to COVID in their country and that weakened the health system further. But also, like you said, Uganda's got a relatively strong and, and well-developed health system a very active minister of health, as well as uh, experience dealing with filoviruses. So they have a history of responding to Sudan virus in the past, as well as Zaire Ebola virus and Marburg. So it's not something that's completely new for them. But if this is a big outbreak, it definitely will cause challenges for the health system. So on this question of vaccines, you know, my understanding is that there are a few potential vaccines in various stages of development. What are some of these vaccines and how likely is it that any time in the near future, these vaccines for the Sudan strain that is currently driving the outbreak in Uganda will actually make it to health workers to do ring vaccination anytime soon? So it's a really good question. Back when there was the big outbreak in West Africa, it was, you know, an unprecedented outbreak in terms of the number of countries, the number of patients, and also the length of time. And I think at that point, a lot of the filovirus research was diverted to focus on Zaire Ebola virus. And, and they sort of stopped really researching as much Sudan virus and the other viruses in the Ebola family, which is reasonable. It makes sense. Zaire has caused the most number of outbreaks and also has the highest mortality. But I think some of the other Ebola viruses were really forgotten. And we don't have much in the way of countermeasures in terms of vaccinations and, and therapeutics for Sudan virus today. However, there are a few different vaccines under development and a few different therapeutics that are under development. And it looks like there will be some clinical trials involving vaccines as well as therapeutics if this outbreak continues long enough. The two vaccines that have been mostly discussed with the WHO and partners in consultation were um, 
two different viral vector vaccines. One's produced by the Seven Institute, and the other is produced by the University of Oxford. And both of them have gone through uh, phase one trials. There's evidence they appear to be safe and appear to be effective, at least in non-human primates. But they're still fairly early on in the research stages, and using them in the South Africa would be helpful to know if they actually work in real life, of course. But that's the only way we get evidence on vaccines. In terms of efficacy, we have to trial them in the middle of an outbreak. Otherwise, we won't ever know if they work. And do you have buy-in right now from the government of Uganda, who presumably would have to approve like a trial? What we've seen in previous outbreaks is the way it works is typically the WHO will pull together partners and, and work with the government of the country having the outbreak. They'll set up a clinical trial protocol and they'll work with a principal investigator from that country. So yeah, it would be someone from Uganda really leading the trial, even if it's heavily supported by WHO and partners. And is that process underway? And if so, like, do you have an estimated timetable of when trials might start? I can only say what I've heard. But WHO was fairly optimistic in the early part of October that the trial could begin before the end of October. So this was stated by um, their head of immunization vaccines and, and biologicals. And they suggested that they might be able to start the trial by the end of October. I'm not sure if we're meeting that goal at this point. I haven't heard any news recently, but you know, I've been surprised before. I know the protocol's been written and I know the vaccines are available. So one of the reasons you cited that a vaccine for this particular strain isn't widely available, hasn't been sort of proven and tested, is that much focus was on the other strain that has caused more damage thus far, the Zaire strain compared to the Sudan strain, which is ongoing in Uganda right now. If there were funding and political will for that kind of research, would a vaccine be available already? I mean, is this a situation that could have been a both and as opposed to like an either or? I think that's the million dollar question is why it seems like the people most interested in, in vaccine research for uh, Ebola virus, smallpox are really the Americans. It's pretty much been spearheaded by BARDA, which makes sense. You know, their interest is in different viruses that could be used as weapons of war. And so most of the filovirus research that we see is often funded by uh, the United States. And BARDA is an acronym for the Biological Advanced Research and Development Agency. I believe that's right. Okay. But BARDA is a U.S. government agency tasked with developing countermeasures to biorisks. Exactly. You know, so that's their mandate. And if you look at previous Ebola outbreaks, most of the time when we have an Ebola outbreak, we're asking BARDA for doses of vaccine as well as doses of therapeutics. Until recently, that was the way we got our hands on these things to treat patients. And it was from the goodwill of the United States people that we got those things. Until the stockpile of Ebola vaccines was established a couple of years ago by the International Coordinating Group. So the International Coordinating Group is a group that stockpiles vaccines for diseases that are at high risk of epidemic, but there may not be a lot of vaccines available at any given time. So meningitis, cholera, Ebola, and yellow fever. So I think the question is, you know, it, it's great that the U.S. does all this research, but, um, you know, where is the interest for different pharmaceutical companies? Because this is something that is a public health issue as well as, uh, I mean, if you look at what we've learned from Ebola, yeah, I think most of what we've been able to accomplish with COVID was based on Ebola research, really. 
monoclonal antibodies were a drug that we really, really spearheaded with the Ebola outbreak in um, West Africa, as well as the recent outbreaks in DR Congo. And those showed great promise. And in the two therapeutics that we have that are licensed for Ebola Zaire are both monoclonal antibodies. And the company Regeneron that makes one of them was the company that began producing monoclonal antibodies for COVID. And we see that's just sort of a wonder drug for COVID if given early. So a lot of this research that's pioneered in Ebola is able to be transferred towards other diseases. And it seems like there would be interest for pharmaceutical companies to be more active in Ebola research because it helps them learn what to do for other types of emerging diseases and diseases that could cause pandemics. And the other question is the role of Gavi in market shaping, as well as the role of CEPI. It was created in Davos in 2017, I believe, and it's an acronym for the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. It's a public-private partnership, and really their mandate is ensure development of countermeasures to emerging diseases or diseases where we don't have effective vaccines yet. So, you know, they're looking at things like Ebola, like Zaire. They were very active in working on vaccination development for COVID. That's sort of their mandate. And Sudan virus seems like it would fall right in line with something CEPI should be working on. We have all these agencies, all these international coalitions that have been built up since the major West Africa Ebola outbreak almost 10 years ago, yet we still don't have a workable vaccine for this particular strain of the Sudan virus. And I'm wondering if it's just like a matter of funding and, and political will. I mean, I think so. I, I know it's expensive. I know vaccine research is, is extremely expensive. And, you know, at least before COVID times, it used to take years and years and years, you know, something like 10 years from start to finish for one vaccine at the cost of several billion dollars. I'm sure that some of that has changed because what we've learned from COVID is we're able to sort of condense that timeline. And I, I think we're able to lower costs if we look at the way that clinical trials can be run these days. But I think there's just always the question of economics and cost benefit for the people that are investing in this new vaccine, if it's going to make a profit or not. So, you know, I know Ebola has a 21 day incubation period. So over the next three weeks, what trends or indicators will you be looking towards in Uganda to suggest to you how this outbreak is trending? The main important factor is the number of cases per day. Thankfully, we're still running zero or one cases per day for the moment. Over the next three weeks, if we see a change in that, that's obviously a concern. The other scary thing that we need to pay attention to is geographic spread. We are sort of limited to really two districts at this point, Mubende and Kassanda, where we've been seeing cases. And the other three districts that were affected seem like maybe they're no longer affected or they'll get through their window of risk. If we see more geographic spread, if we see new districts where uh, Ebola cases are spreading, that's really the biggest cause for concern, as well as the number of cases per day. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Any question I didn't ask? Any point you wanted to make? I mean, I think, and I always say this whenever I talk about Ebola, but it's very interesting to talk about the therapeutics you know, that are in development or the vaccines that are in development. But even if you look at the past responses for Ebola Zaire, they're part of the response, and they're, they're just another tool that we use in the response. The main response really to an Ebola outbreak is working with the community and ensuring that those people that are contacts or that are symptomatic for Ebola receive 
follow-up and treatment as fast as possible. And even with the very good monoclonal antibodies that we have, they have to be given early. And the best chances to save someone's life if they're infected with Ebola is early treatment, even if it means treatment with just supportive care, which is all we have really to offer to patients with Sudan virus today. But even if it's just supportive care, your risk of death is much, much lower if you arrive soon rather than after several days. In fact, every day you wait outside of the hospital, your risk of mortality goes up basically by 10%. So if you arrive the first day or the second day you have symptoms, you have a very good chance of survival. But if you wait a week, that's when we see the high mortality in Ebola. So really the most important thing to focus on in these responses is community engagement. It's working with people at the community level and making sure that people who are affected by Ebola, that do have symptoms of Ebola, feel confident that they can receive treatment in health centers and in hospitals, and that we can actually offer them something to save their lives rather than just sending them to an isolation room to go and die. John, thank you so much for your time and for your work on this. Nice talking with you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have any questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. Please rate and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts.